It's great to have you all here. Uh, welcome to all of you. I haven't quite, quite as many as last week, but it's, uh, it's uh, good to have you here. If you couldn't attend last week, I know there's a number of you that are here uh, for the first time in a long time, and uh, so we want to welcome you here, especially this morning. Also just want to um, give a quick note to um, Stan and Cheryl Quance. This is their last week here as residents of Wetaskiwin County. <laughs> they're moving next week out Spruce Grove. Thankfully, they're still going to be coming to church for a little while, but uh, we're so thankful Stan gets to uh, work back on the multimedia today for one more time, and Cheryl, both of them have been very faithful to our church. So we look forward to still being able to worship together, even though you won't be living as close. But... Um, um, yeah, it's just so good to have everyone here. It's good to be able to sing together again. Um, there's lots of churches that are meeting that have chosen not to sing yet. We've got a big space here, and we can uh, distance ourselves and all those sort of things. So we're so glad to be able to sing together as a congregation. And I could see the joy in your faces as I was kind of peeking back and being able to sing those songs. And the songs that were chosen this morning fit very well with what we're about to look at in Psalm 146. So before we look there, let's bow once again in prayer and ask the Lord to be with us as we look into his word. Our Father and our God, we do indeed bless your name. Lord, we bless you because your blessings are without number. When it comes to your your goodnesses, even a big number like 10,000 is far too small. Your goodness and your blessings are infinite. And because your blessings are so countless, we can do nothing but bring our praises to you. And so we're here as a congregation of people whose praises are unending because of the fact that your blessings are unending. Yet, Father, we desire to know you even more so that we have even more reasons to bless you and to praise you. And in order to know you more, we turn once again to your word. Father, we ask for your help. We ask your spirit, the spirit of God, to illumine your word so that we might behold wonderful things from your law. And may all of it redound to the praise of your glory. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, our world has taken a hard turn toward the crazy. I was going to say a hard left turn, but maybe I better not say stuff like that from the pulpit. But our world has taken a hard turn toward the crazy. We might have all manner of opinions on the different issues of our day, but I think we all agree that what we are watching unfold before our eyes, no one could ever have seen this coming. We are living in a crazy, crazy world. I'm not sure how else to describe what's going on. We've got this virus that somehow put the whole globe into a lockdown state from which we have not yet totally emerged Thankfully, we get to assemble here now into week number two, but most churches, even as close as Edmonton, are not yet meeting. Big events were canceled. This weekend, here in our area, the Pinocchio Stampede should have started. Canceled. 
Students could not attend school. Restaurants could not open. Even playgrounds got shut down. Things have gotten crazy even in our own lives. For myself, somehow, through this time between March and June, I became a chicken farmer. I'm still not sure how that happened. I'm a city boy from Winnipeg, and as a city boy, I never saw that coming. Crazy. But beyond that, beyond what we've experienced, we look around at the world and we see things like racial tension going through the roof. There are cries of injustice. We've seen widespread protests and and rioting and, and looting in some of our continents, our own continent's biggest cities. Our authority structures, structures that have proven trustworthy and which everyone would have agreed to as being necessary, are getting overturned. Even history, which is something that we would think is unchangeable. How can someone change history? Well, even history is getting rewritten. The same goes for biology, something as basic as gender, of which God created only two, is not so basic anymore. Even godless people would have never questioned something as fundamentally basic as that. And all of this is happening at breakneck speed. No one could have foreseen how fast these changes would come. We're living in a crazy, crazy world. I suppose the best way I've heard it described is that we are living in uncertain days. Uncertain, in other words, we don't know what's coming next. Nothing is certain, nothing is sure, nothing is predictable. And when things are uncertain and unpredictable, we can all get a little bit nervy, a little bit anxious, a little bit fearful. I wonder if you might be feeling the stress and the tension that comes with living in uncertain days. Maybe you don't know what to do with the craziness. Maybe you've been personally impacted by the uncertainty. Your, your job has been affected. Your, your, your circumstances have changed. Your routines have been upset. Thankfully, as believers in God, as followers of Jesus Christ, we have a place to turn. We have a God who stands in sharp contrast to even the very concept of uncertainty. We have a God who is certain. We have a God who in his very nature is unchanging. And we have a God who is faithful. A God who is faithful to his promises. Faithful to his word. Faithful to his people. Faithful to the righteous. And because we have such a God, these uncertain days should heighten our sense of gratitude and our sense of praise. That we know the God who can be trusted. We sing songs like, Great is thy faithfulness. We know a God who can be trusted. We know the God who is faithful. So for the next few weeks, we want to go to the end of the collection of songs in our Bible called Psalms. 
If you're on Facebook, I invite you to join me every morning at 7 o'clock. We've been doing something called Top of the Morning in the Psalms, and we've had some people join us live there. But the nice thing is, you don't have to get up at 7 o'clock, you can tune in later on. But we've been working our way from the beginning, slowly to the end. In fact, Pastor Andrew read from Psalm 25 this morning. If you want to know more about Psalm 25, a little bit more, join us tomorrow morning, because that's where we're at in Psalm 25. I always knew that was one of Pastor Andrew's favorite psalms, and I was going to mention that tomorrow morning. But uh, you're welcome to join us there. But I figured we kind of, I'm not sure that I can last for 150 days doing this. So I thought I'd start preaching through them from the back, except I'm going to kind of go 146, 147, 148, and I'll end there at 150. So um, that'll kind of, and maybe by the time I get way up there, we'll even work our way down even farther. So we're in the Psalms. We want to be reminded as we look at those about the fact that we should praise the Lord in uncertain, topsy-turvy, rapidly changing, don't know what's coming next days, God's people should look to their God. And when they look to their God, they will find in him one who is most worthy of praise. So starting with Psalm 146, each of these last five psalms, you will find, if you want to just peek ahead, they all start and end with the same words. In English, these words, in most of your Bibles, will just be praise the Lord. In Hebrew, it's just one word, the word hallelujah we sang this morning. Someone once said there are three words that are understood in every language. Amen, hallelujah, and (laughs) Coca-Cola. Here we have that familiar word, hallelujah. Hallel in Hebrew is praise. Yah is a shortened form of Jehovah or Yahweh. That's how these psalms start and end. If each psalm was a sermon, hallelujah would be both the introduction and the conclusion. If they were a worship service, hallelujah would be the invocation and the benediction. It would be the prelude and the postlude. And in between, in between each psalm will remind us why the people of God can praise the Lord in these uncertain, turbulent days. And we especially see that here in Psalm 146. Even though we might not understand everything that God is doing in the world right now and how this is all aligning with His sovereign purposes, even though His ways are mysterious, God's people can praise Him still. God's people can praise Him still. And in today's psalm, the focus is on the fact that we praise God because He is faithful. We praise God because He can be trusted. So if you have your Bibles with me, with you, turn with me to Psalm 146. I'm going to read that for us, and I encourage you to follow along and then keep your Bibles open there as we make our way through this psalm. Psalm 146, so reads the Word of God. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. Put not your trust in princes, in a son of man in whom there is no salvation. When his breath departs, he returns to the earth. On that very day, his plans perish. Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God, who made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever, 
who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the sojourners. He upholds the widow and the fatherless. But the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. The Lord will reign forever. Your God, your God, O Zion, to all generations. Praise the Lord. This is God's word. All the Psalms have a beautiful structure. They're, they're beautiful because of the way they're shaped and the way that they're constructed. You might want to call it, especially this Psalm, we'll see their symmetry is beautiful. Myself, I don't think that way. I'm not quite as poetic. I, I tend to think more uh, chronologically, top to bottom. I think in straight lines. I'm very linear. So understanding poetry takes me some effort. But when I put in the effort, the payoff is awesome. The Psalms, besides bringing out important truths, display the beauty of God's creativity in His Word. They display the beauty of God's creativity in putting his word together. And Psalm 146 is like that. I've already said that all these psalms start and end with the same words. But this is one of those poetic songs. If you see the words sort of going down the page of your Bible, think of them a bit like a sideways funnel. And I've tried to illustrate that a little bit. If you've got some sermon notes with you, you might have to peek over to your neighbor a little bit. But think of them like a sideways funnel. In order to understand in poetry, and understand, uh, well, let's see, let's start with sentences and paragraphs first. In order to understand a, a sentence or to understand a paragraph, uh, some of you English teachers here, you'll know this, you have to look at clauses and you have to look at subjects and predicates. You have to look at verbs, especially the main verbs. But in order to understand a poem, you have to look at the relationship between the lines. The lines of the song or the poem is where the meaning is hidden. You have to look for parallels. We have an example here in verse 2. If you just look at that verse. I will praise the Lord as long as I live. That's line 1. I will sing praise to my God while I have my being. They both kind of mean the same thing, line 1 and 2, but line 2 just expands a little bit on the first line. But if you take the whole of Psalm 146, you see parallels as we move from the ends, from the beginning and the end, toward the middle, as I tried to show there. And in the middle is where it reaches its apex, or its climax. And so Psalm 146, if you count up the lines of the psalm, it has 25 lines, which makes line number 13 the main point of the psalm. At least that's how it looks to me. And so you can... Count the lines, look at number 13, and put some flashing lights there. That's what this psalm is all about. Line 13, you'll find in the last part of verse 6, where it says, The Lord keeps faith forever. So this psalm is inviting the people of God to praise the Lord because He is faithful. Because He can be trusted. And so we're going to work from the outside in. We have these parallel thoughts in the first half and the last half as we work our way to 
line, that last line in verse 6. There's a, there's a slight difference in what's important between the first, uh, or that's important to note, between the first half and the last half, even though the theme is the same. As we connect those, the first half is focused more on man, and the second half is the same topic, but focuses on God's part, on God's input to that particular theme or topic. And we'll notice that as we go. The psalm starts and ends with these notes of time and notes of duration. First, you have the writer saying that he is going to praise God for his entire life. His entire life would be one of praise. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. And then we already looked at verse 2. I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. As long as I have my being, I'm going to be praising God. As children of God, we always live to praise God. Why? Well, I'll look down at verse 10. Because the Lord will reign, how long? Forever. Your God, O Zion, to all generations. God's people praise their God as long as they live because God's reign lasts forever. There's no end to our praise. There's no end to our worship because there's no end to God's sovereign rule. Just think about that in terms of the times in which we live. This, this weird year that has been 2020 and even before that. We live in a day where all earthly authorities, all earthly sovereigns, if we want to put it that way, are treated with suspicion and even with disdain and contempt. Whether it's elected leaders, or whether it's those who enforce the law, or whether it's coaches, or teachers, or anyone that's in a position of authority. Everyone has to be very careful in our day what they say, and even how they say it. We see groups of people in our day declaring autonomous zones. Areas that are free from authority structures, free from rules, free from law. We see these same people exerting pressure on politicians and succeeding in defunding and disbanding police forces. This is the day in which we live. When we observe all of that that's going on, we we can't be faulted for thinking who is in charge? Is anyone in charge? Well, here we find out and we get the strong assurance that God is in charge. God will reign forever. Our authority structures seem to be shifting, but God has not moved. God is sitting there on his throne. He has not flinched one inch. His authority cannot be toppled over. He is in full control. He's living and active. He is in charge and he will be in charge forever. To all generations. We might worry about our children, we might worry about future generations, and and, and rightly so, but we need not worry whether God is in charge. God will rule forever. God will still reign. So what is it that should occupy God's people in these days? Should we give our time to worry? No. Should we spend, we should spend our energy on worship, Should we be paralyzed by fear? No, we should be preoccupied with praise as long as we live. 
while we still have our being. Again, we might not understand everything that's going on in the world, but don't let that consume you. Don't be consumed by trying to figure out what's going on. Be occupied in something much higher and much loftier. Praise the Lord. Praise the one who is our true sovereign. Worship God. But then we see a contrast. We see a contrast here by way of warning. Remember, we're, we're working our way to God as the one who keeps faith forever. That's the aim here. God as the one who is always most worthy of our trust. The problem is that we often put our trust in other people. Famous people, popular people, rich people, experts, influential people, the media, political leaders. That's just the way we are, even as believers. We put our faith in those who are seen rather than him who is unseen. And so the psalmist is going to warn about that in verse 3 and 4. Put not your trust in princes, in a son of man in whom there is no salvation. When his breath departs, he returns to the earth. On that very day, his plans perish. All those people I listed, all those categories of people can be lumped together into the category of princes. Important, famous, rich, popular, people of some status. Or individually, they can be lumped into the other category of a son of man. Sometimes we say, it's actually translated here, son of Adam. We often put our trust in mere humans rather than in the Lord. And that connects all of this to worship, doesn't it? When we put our trust in princes, we exchange them for God. We value them more than we value God. We value the, the power more than we value the power of the true sovereign. We give them the honor that should be reserved for God alone. Well, what's the verdict? What's the final verdict on these princes? On a son of man? End of verse 3, there is no salvation. In that son of man, in those princes, there is no salvation. Princes cannot save us. Princes cannot deliver us. Princes aren't there when you need help. They don't even know you. They're, they're out of reach. You, you don't have access to them for the most part. Verse 4, when his breath departs, he returns to the earth. When I, when I thought of princes, my, my mind went to the musician named Prince or whatever his name is, the artist formerly known as Prince, whatever he went by. I think he changed all the time. He was famous. He was rich. He was influential. Yet when it came down to it, he died and he's gone. He actually died alone. A very terrible death. All princes are just people. They can't help you when you need them. They, they die just like everyone else. On that very day, his plans perish. It goes on to say, whatever great things those princes had planned and accomplished and come up with, whatever great thoughts they had, whatever it was that made them famous or rich or influential, those 
plans that they had, those projects that they were part of, also perish with them. The point is, don't ultimately put your hopes in people, especially in those who have achieved some kind of prominence in the world. They might look to be worthy of trust at, at some kind of level, but they're mere humans. They're weak people. They are dying people. And if you look down at the end of verse 9, the parallel thought, we see God's verdict on godless people, whether they're princes or any other kind of human that is without God. The Lord brings the way of the wicked. The Lord brings the way of the godless to ruin. This reminds us of Psalm 1. The Lord knows the ways of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. God will bring them to ruin. Put not your trust in princes or in mere humans. They are short-lived at best, wicked at worst. And when it comes down to it, there's no salvation in them. They can't help you where you most need help. Do not pin your hopes on people who seem to be succeeding in the world, who seem to be exerting influence. And especially in our day when we don't even know who to trust or where to put our faith, this psalm is proving itself true. There is only one direction to turn in days like these, and that is to God. Put your faith in God. He is infinitely and eternally worthy of your praise. Well, who is this God? Why is he worthy of our trust in days like these? Well, that's where the psalm turns to next there in verse 5. Blessed is he. I love that. The psalmist is going to pronounce blessings on the one here who trusts God. He's going to pronounce blessings on the one who trusts God. Again, it sounds like Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, who nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the way of scoffers, but his delight is in the way of the Lord. Here it's, blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope or whose trust is in the Lord his God. With princes, there's no salvation, but if you look to God for help and if you pin your hopes on him, in him you will find eternal blessings. And then he starts listing all the things that God does. How he helps you. How he helps us. Why, why we as God's church, why you as a, as a child of God can rest all your hope in him. Verse 6. Who made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them. He goes here right to creation. That's where he starts. You know, I was just kind of thinking of everything that's going on in the world, all the craziness, all the upheaval, all the overturning of order, all the sickness and all the death, all the doubt, all the fear, all the uncertainty, with all that turmoil in the background, have you ever noticed that the sun still rises every day? Have you ever noticed that the birds still sing? They're not concerned. Have you ever noticed that the trees still blossom, that the grass still grows? God's creation is seemingly immune, immune to everything that's going crazy. Creation just goes on doing what God created it to do. That's a good thing to remember. 
It's a reminder for us that God is still in control. Everything that we thought would never change might seem to be toppling over. All those things that seemed so secure and and changeless and predictable, health, finances, democracy, don't seem quite so, so secure anymore. But just like the heavens and the earth and the sea and the birds and the trees and the grass, our Creator has not changed. And because He created all those things, you can look to Him for help in these uncertain days. And as we look to creation, we should be drawn again to worship. The heavens declare His glory. But skipping over our main line there at the end of verse 6, just for a moment, look down at verse 7. God was active in creation, and God is still active. He was active in creation. He is still active in creation as well, but He's still active. He's actually involved in our affairs. He is actively helping His people. And as you look at verse 7 and following, there is no shortage of reasons that the godly can put their trust in God. That's why I was so glad that we sang 10,000 reasons this morning. There is no shortage of reasons that the godly can put their trust in God, that you can put your hope in God. And there's just a, a, a few of them listed here in this psalm. God is actively working here for you. And he's especially active toward the humble and the helpless. Look again at verse 7. Who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoner free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the sojourners. He upholds the widow and the fatherless. I think the songwriter is making a deliberate contrast here between putting your trust in princes in, 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 in what is high and lofty in our world and the fact that God helps the lowly, the oppressed, the hungry, the prisoners, the blind, those who are bowed down, strangers, widows, orphans. And tucked in the middle there is a great summary statement about this God, about our God. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord loves the righteous. What amazing words. The Lord set his love on the godly. He is for you, Christian. He is always for you. And if God is for us, what can be against us? You can turn to God and you can find him to be your helper. You can turn to God and find him to be your hope. The Lord loves the righteous. And he proves that by sending his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. This psalm actually points ahead to the fact that God would ultimately and supremely be good for his word by sending his very own son to be our salvation, to be our deliverer, to be our helper, to be our hope. These words in verses 7 to 9 sound very familiar to Jesus' first words when he started his ministry in the Gospel of Luke. So keep your eyes here on Psalm 146, verses 7 and 8, and I'm going to flip over and read Luke chapter 4, verse 18. You don't need to turn there. You can if you want to, but keep your finger there in Psalm 146. Luke 4, 18. These are are Jesus' 
very first words when he started his ministry there in the Gospel of Luke. He says there in verse 18 of chapter 4, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now he's reading there from Isaiah 61, but the same idea comes across in Psalm 146, some of the same pictures. Jesus is sent by God to fulfill God's word here in Psalm 146. Everyone's talking today about justice. Perfect justice comes from God through Jesus Christ, who will make all things right when he comes as our reigning king. And Lord, Jesus is the bread of life who satisfied our hunger with the words of life. Jesus set us free from the prison that is our sin. He released the captives. Jesus opened our eyes and he took the scales off so we could see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 4. We were low, but Jesus lifts us up. We were strangers, but Jesus found us. We were alone, but Jesus brings us into God's family. We even hear echoes of verse 5 in Jesus' first words in the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. And so on. God helped us tangibly by sending His Son. God made flesh. He sent His Son. In some way, in a direct contrast to verse 3, Jesus is the Prince in whom there is salvation. Jesus sent His eternal Son to the earth so that whosoever believes in Him shall not perish, but will have everlasting life. Maybe you're here today exactly because these uncertain days are troubling you. Maybe you've been troubled by this, you've been fearful, and you thought, I I just need to go to the church and find out what the Lord has to say. Maybe you came here today looking for help and for hope. Maybe you're here because you're scared about the future. Maybe... Maybe you're scared about eternity. Friend, I would just say you are right to be fearful for the future. Like all of us in this room, you are a sinner and you are one who has not kept God's law perfectly, which is his requirement for everyone. And as such, you are helpless in your sins. You are destined for life without God, eternal life without God but you find here an answer to your fears. There is one in whom you can put your trust. His name is Jesus. He is the Son of God, sent by God to be your salvation, to be your deliverer, to be your helper, to be your Savior. If you turn from your sins, recognizing that you are indeed helpless to save yourself, and if you then entrust yourself to Jesus Christ, the sinless one, 
who died on a cross, not for his sins, but for your sins, you will receive the gift of eternal life. If you're fearful and would like to know more about that, I'd love to talk to you. Or just talk to anyone here, person that you came with, someone that you might know. They'd love to help you know this Jesus. Well, God fulfills his word here in Psalm 146 in the person of his son. Like I said, Jesus is our help. Jesus is our hope. And so when we now come to the climax of this psalm, we all have to agree, we almost, it's almost self-fulfilling here, that God keeps faith forever. In days of uncertainty, you can entrust yourself to him. He keeps faith forever. He's not fickle in his promises. They don't change. Depending on the circumstances, he is faithful. His promises are not fleeting. They are forever. And his promises are not somehow contingent on your failures, as if your failures will nullify his promises. No, God is a God of forgiveness and faithfulness. Even, 2 Timothy 2 says, if we are faithless, God remains faithful. And so the Lord is infinitely and eternally worthy of our trust. He is worthy of your hope. He is eminently worthy of your confidence. And because God is infinitely and eternally worthy of our trust, he is also infinitely worthy of our praise. Let's bow together in prayer. And so, Father, that's what we do here as we close in prayer. We praise you for your trustworthiness. Great is your faithfulness, O God. Steadfast is your love. Enduring is your kindness. We thank you that as we live in this world, as we meander and sometimes aimlessly in this world, wondering what's next, wondering what's going to happen, we thank you that even the future is secure in your hands. You, you've, you haven't kept us in the dark about what's going to happen at the end. And for that reason alone, we can entrust ourselves to you. But even in the day-to-day affairs of our lives, the circumstances that are so topsy-turvy. Sometimes we, we live on the mountaintop as we do when we come to church on Sunday, and sometimes we go down into the valley, whether it's through physical illness, whether it's through um, circumstances of life, whether it's through hard relationships. Father, we thank you that through all of that, we can come to you and we can find you to be faithful. You are always there. You never leave us nor forsake us. We thank you that you love the righteous. We ask these things now with hearts full of thanksgiving and praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, the Lord bless you and keep you as you go. Amen.